you can read all these books on what it means to be like gentle or conscious or whatever the other buzzwords are. But it's like, are we allowing space for the parents' emotions and the parents' experience and the parents' self-compassion? And I think again to the like structural piece, are parents resourced enough, supported enough to be able to like show up for their kids in the way that like is quote unquote ideal? You know, when they are being asked to move the whole world and work at the same time as trying to get someone's shoes on. And I think that so often gets left out of those conversations. Welcome to another episode of the Poised Powerful Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Mahan. I coach movement, alignment, and the empowerment that comes from understanding how your body works. This podcast is all about helping regular people adapt to the physical and emotional challenges of new parenthood and hearing some good stories from people getting the crash course. So I'm here today with Hannah Lee. Hannah is a social worker and therapist at Center and Room to Breathe, an integrated therapy and trauma-informed yoga space. At Center, Hannah loves working with people as they care for themselves, and she has a particular passion for issues such as pre- and postnatal mental health, parenting, and mental health care in the Asian American community. Hannah is certified in psychologically sensitive yoga through Room to Breathe and takes a holistic mind-body approach to her work. Hannah was born in England to Chinese and English parents, grew up in Massachusetts, and outside of center has experience in social justice and nonprofit settings. She lives in Chicago with her partner and their two small, noisy children who should be in bed right now, I assume. Yes, one of them is in the process of being becoming less noisy. So there may be a, a, a rise before it falls. Mm-hmm. I'm hopefully the headphones are damping it, but um, yeah, my son is uh, winding down and usually there's a, there's a ramping up actually before yes. the winding down. It involves it's a lot of, all out. it's sort of a parkour situation happening right now that I'm just going to not be responsible for right now. <laughs> We're all gonna hide away in our tiny home offices. <laughs> that's that's kind of been our situation for a lot mm-hmm. of the pandemic, which is not quite over. Whatever version this is, we're mm-hmm. in it. So mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, gosh, like anything is sort of like there's not one phase, there's 18 thousand or so yes and I assume for for you and for many people like having the under five set I'm like what nothing has changed we are still out here breathing in the air and licking all the rocks outside and everything else so yes so you know that's that's been pretty pretty frustrating I think parents have been left in the dust there was sort of a hot minute there when people were talking about like, oh, all these child cares are, are closing and like, wouldn't it be good to like fix that whole scenario? But that is yet to happen. <laughs> yes. I often think of things as like gateways or doorways and that like there is and was a big doorway to like transform how we do things and mm-hmm. seems like we need to push a little harder on that doorway. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's uh, running through it. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you're here today. I'm very interested in helping people with their stress, alleviating tension in their lives, sort of helping people see clearly like where they might have some choices to take some of the load off. I think it's important that you have sort of this lens of a social justice background as well of this is this training, you know, to work with individuals because it's, I think we can get isolated in our own problems, sort of knowing that there are like, okay, there are choices to be made on the individual level. And then there are some bigger society-wide choices that 
have some part in. And I guess just understanding like where our role is in that picture is really important. Yeah, that's absolutely a way of thinking that I feel like has permeated all areas of my life. You know, when working with clients and I see folks that have kids, don't have kids, aren't interested in kids, whole gamut. I don't like the idea of therapy being like you in a vacuum, dealing with your problems and making individual choices to just be better. Because I don't think that's how it works. The pandemic has more than proven that over and over again. And parenting and pregnancy proves that over and over again, that like it's not taking care of your mental health is not a matter of will. And there are things that you can do and information you can have, but we're all living within these structures, many of them incredibly unequal. And I think that that's one of the reasons that Center and Room to Breathe is a home for me, because I think that I can't see myself in many other spaces where that kind of like holistic perspective of mind, body, and bodies and places and spaces that are fluid and impacting all of us, like that needs to be at the forefront. So it's something I really appreciate about where I am right now. It sounds like a super unique place. So hopefully if folks are in Chicago, you know, they can check it out. If they're not even in Chicago, so much of life is online and a lot of their offerings are as well. So hoping Uh, that people can check that out if they're able. I think it's really unique also that Center has this embodiment component. There are people with uh, yoga or other embodiment training, and that being a, a component of therapy or I guess related work I think a lot of times people think of therapy as I'm going to sit in a chair and like talk about my childhood. (laughs) And, you know, maybe that's not appealing (laughs) for everybody. Maybe you could talk a little bit about therapy that doesn't quite look like sitting in a chair and talking about your childhood. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what has been so maybe ironic about it is that we're doing all telehealth right now. Um, So I'm seeing, you know, folks in a little box, which can be very disembodying. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've all had that feeling where like you see somebody in person for the first time, you're like, wow, you're much taller or shorter or different because you have the rest of your body to you now. And yet body awareness is such an integral part of the way that we all at center approach the work. Our bodies are aware and send us messages of how we're doing far before we can intellectualize it. And for us, you know, that intellectual level where you've kind of come up with the story of what's happening is only helpful to a point. And so often the deeper work is in the emotional and physical manifestations of what's going on. And often we can get trapped in that like intellectualizing of our experiences and distance ourselves from our bodies and have had experiences that have separated us from our bodies in a lot of ways. So for me, ways in which I think about bringing that in, you know, even for myself, like sitting, coming to my chair as a therapist, it's like, can I feel my sit bones? When I'm talking to a client, can I feel my feet grounded into the earth? Where am I in this? Am I able to look away from the screen and like do the eyeball break? And then like, what am I seeing from the person that's sharing space with me? Like, you know, where does their breath seem to be landing? How deep is it going? You know, I miss sometimes seeing the like the ticks, like are the the shaking of the leg, but there are plenty of other ways in which, you know, it's like what about how you're physically showing up to this space is giving us clues about where you want to go in the work that you're doing. 
And so that can be just a great entry point. And there's lots of formal and informal practices that people can bring in. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's just like knowing that we aren't just like brains on sticks. We are like whole (laughs) bodies that need to be cared for holistically. Mm -hmm. In my own life, I, I know that I didn't really deal with my own anxiety until I really started making friends with my body, my own personal thing. You know, I probably had anxiety since childhood. I I definitely had, it's what started as neck pain as a child. Gradually, I basically just more conditions piled on until I just sort of felt useless. (laughs) You know, when I started learning more about, oh, wow, this is kind of how I, I hold tension. And it's showing up in situations where, you know, I am trying to maintain control and to not feel certain feelings. That was really tough, but it was a big moment for me in the method I trained in, which is Alexander technique. And it might not always be necessarily a linear journey or, you know, my shoulder hurts because someone said this. Um, But I know that, you know, uh, those things were so intertwined. You know, I I didn't really make progress until I really got that, until I got how those things were intertwined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know how it was for you, physically but pregnancy can really like break some of that open Mm -hmm. sometimes in a very like literal way because the patterns that we use to cope are sometimes like physically just how we're Mm -hmm. carrying ourselves to the world or the pace that we're going at like isn't accessible anymore or Mm -hmm. you know your needs shift and change week to Mm -hmm. week um And so there's a real like making new friends with your body and not just in the like body image way that gets Mm -hmm. talked about, but, you know, internally. And I think that that was a really interesting experience for me. And it's one that I really enjoy exploring with people because it can be such an exciting gateway, but also a difficult and unfamiliar one too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like two things are true. which is that you're experiencing a lot of change and it can be hitting you and it can be simple things. Just like one day you could tie your shoes and the next day you can't. I think that's really frustrating on a level that's like, I think hard to understand (laughs) until it happens to you. This sense of like, Oh, I used to have like a sense that I was like in control of this ship. And I'm like, really not. And that kind of scares me. Or just even that, like, you know, I, the the things that maybe I used to do before to cope aren't available to me, you know, for whatever reason, they don't, you don't have the energy to pursue certain activities or, you know, they're uncomfortable for your body now. So things like that. I think a lot of what I've heard about mental health in pregnancy and postpartum, there's a lot of conversation about hormones. Hormones are true. I think it's so good to understand that, but, you know, maybe you could help bring in like some of the other factors that are affecting people. Like you said, it's like an individual picture and then there's, there's more factors zooming out. Yeah. I think that there's the the very real biological changes and there's also the big identity shift. And I think that that's increasingly getting attention, but you have to kind of go out and find the right communities. It's not something that is easily accessible, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're, you're embarking on that journey and it's a complicated and messy journey that doesn't always go smoothly as well. So I think that there's, just like you were saying, like the changing perception you have of yourself, like, oh, what am I capable of doing? How does the world read me when my body 
is sending a particular message about what's happening, which, you know, so many folks have all the time, but mm-hmm. it's like a, an in particularly interesting moment because it's very passing and temporary in some ways of like, mm-hmm. oh, physically people are, you know, talking to your stomach, but not your face. And, you know, what does that mean? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of exploration of how does this change or integrate or maybe even feel like it erases your Mm -hmm. identity prior to pregnancy and, you know, what is the community or identity that you're stepping into? And I think that the, the structures aren't always there, very rarely are there for folks. And so there is often some floundering or some searching as you go through that process. And I think that that is where some of those mental health challenges or isolation can come up. It does often feel like, am I the only person that is experiencing this thing or struggling with this thing? And, you know, of course our, our minds often go to the the places that we don't want them to where it's, you know, Oh, I have, it must just be me or, I must be alone in that experience. It's like, there's always two layers to any problem, which is maybe, you know, it's just whatever situation you're facing. And then just that feeling or worry that, that you are alone in that situation. Yeah. And especially for folks that are going through it for the first time, like so much of it is a very like fear-based experience. I think moving through the medical model where, Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like checkpoints where you're like, okay, is it is it okay? Are things mm-hmm. are things okay? And I think, you know, this is a very like mindfulness based statement, but you know, really acknowledging the very mixed emotions and experiences, and like creating space for them. Like you can be so joyful and happy about what's happening, and feel terrible, and feel afraid, and feel like the world is so great at the same time. And, you know, it feels often like things are placed on a binary that isn't how we experience the world. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what I think about for folks is like being able to hold all of that at the same time um, Mm -hmm. and create space for all of that. I mean, something I'll bring up from therapy, because I know a lot of other people relate is, the feeling of, you know, whatever you're struggling with, but having the idea of like, oh, but I should feel grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, I should feel grateful because, you know, I'm pregnant and some people can't get pregnant or, you know, I had a healthy baby, the birth this way, or, you know, at least this didn't happen or, you know, there's always, of course, you know, um, I guess you could always say like it could be worse, but on the other hand, you don't, you know, it's, it, it, that's, that's sweeping, you know, those emotions that are there that might be mixed. It's just sweeping them under the, under the rug. Mm-hmm. One piece that I like to kind of foreground when talking to pregnant folks is that it's okay to to acknowledge like this is harder than I want it to be or need it to be rather than like holding up your experience in comparison to like the, you know, the mental health screener that you take mm-hmm. at your doctors or midwives or, you know, like the horror stories kind of that you hear about pre or postpartum mental health. Like mm-hmm. I think it's very easy for folks to look at that and say like, oh, well, it's not that bad. It's not yeah. like the extreme, like I don't want to hurt my baby. So it yes. mustn't be, you know, depression. And it's like important to know that it's a spectrum and all of it is worthy of care and that we're all worthy of care, regardless of how it holds up on a formalized assessment because things do change so rapidly during pregnancy too, where it's like, Oh, well, when I get to this point, it will be better. Mm-hmm. I'll feel better at this point. And I definitely, you know, adhere to that at times. And then it's like, Oh, actually that all could have been made easier if I had been able to acknowledge to myself, like this is feeling really hard and I would like some more support. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's a start. I'll say it's a start <laughs> that we're taking those those surveys. But I know I found them just like, I think I didn't even fill them out because I was like, I can't put my feelings on a number scale. It just like didn't make sense to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I think they are easy to sort of, they're kind of easy to lie on, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I think also, it, it, and you bring up sort of like, well, there are a couple of like, again, it's like binary thinking tends to get us into trouble, just whatever the situation is. As you were saying, like, you can still need support, you know, sort of wherever you are on the spectrum, or even if your spectrum, you know, maybe is variable day to day, that we, I think, are becoming more aware of mental health. But again, it is often those more serious situations of wanting to hurt yourself or wanting to hurt your baby. And the idea being like, it doesn't mean that you don't have a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's not what's going on with you. That there are other ways in which things can manifest as well. And I think that one of the challenges with the pandemic, both because it exacerbates so many anxieties, mm-hmm. but also because that you don't get so much of the baseline community, not just mm-hmm. like not in a comparison way of like, oh, well, I seem to be doing okay. But in a like, oh, it's normal for me to be feeling X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z. And also I can share in that and be in community with people that understand what it's like to be sleep deprived or Mm -hmm. to have someone ask you why, 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 why over and over again all day. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, you know, parents and people that are expecting just are, are missing that. Um, just in the way that all of us are missing some piece of what used to be in terms of social connection. Mm-hmm. And even this, those like, you know, we used to have just a few more people in our lives, like able to check in with us or kind of see us frequently enough that they would be, oh, you know, are you okay? Today seem, you seem a little different. Mm-hmm. My heart is with folks who are coming to this situation new in our post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. I believe you had your, did you have your second during the pandemic or like how did that timeline work out? Yeah, my older one is three. So just as he was a little bit older than one and we were like, oh, we can be people again. Then we quickly retreated and we were very fortunate that in a lot of ways, like we were able to kind of build our little nest and world. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yes, my younger one is going to be one on Sunday. And so I had my pregnancy through the pandemic and working from home. It's been really interesting to compare the two experiences. I think every Mm -hmm. pregnancy is incredibly different. And I think for me, in some ways, like, I had a lot more PPA after my first and also like with my second, my expectations for life had already shifted a lot because of already Mm -hmm. having a toddler being in the pandemic that, you know, like I didn't have to commute to work. I didn't have to be out of the house, huge chunks of time. So that turned into a lot more of the, being able to recognize my boundaries and needs and then say like, I'm going to nap now. And I do think that really shifted my experience in addition to having more support, you know, having a therapist in place already knowing what some of the experiences might be like. And so in some ways felt like I was fortunate during the pandemic to have my pregnancy postpartum and then like having help and support for having two kids was that definitely felt challenging it was mm-hmm. right like as people are starting to get vaccinated and it was like please do this quick and then come rescue us so I think that all of that to say you know each experience has been really different and definitely went into the second one like building these intentional scaffolding points and having more language about how to ask for help really change the experience. Ooh, in my next life, I'll, I'll come back as a second time mom. I think it is interesting 
you know, I think the second time, right, you can sort of anticipate what you will need. It's hard to anticipate that, I think, before you've had those experiences, as much as you're being given a lot of messages to prepare, I think actually preparing during a first pregnancy is so challenging. There's just so many unknowns. Uh, you don't know how you'll handle labor till you're in it necessarily, you know, to, you know, you don't know what kind of baby you're going to have. You might not know what kind of support you want. How can folks sort of maybe, <laughs> like you said, you know, if you're going to start those scaffolding points, like we'll, where would be an example of where people would draw that in? I think often like the pregnancy and baby industrial complex, like really focuses on like gather as much information as possible so that mm -hmm. when you're presented with like every single different configuration of what might happen that you like have memorized this book and know mm -hmm. what to do. And I really think that a coming at it from a skills-based approach has a lot more opportunity and value mm. um, because it's like rather than needing to know everything for situations that may or may not arise it's like do I know how to communicate with my support person or team of people do I know what the things are that can be like really triggering or activating for me like for me, like having a physical space where I can sit down without having to like clear everything off of the sofa and like move all the laundry, like knowing I could land in that spot and like my visual, my line of sight looked clean, regardless of what the rest of the place looks like, can bring calm. That can open up more doorways than trying to prepare for every inevitable scenario. Because yeah, having had to, it's like they could not be more different in some ways they could not you know the situations and how I respond to them could not be more different but I also think a lot of it is built off of like you know having the ability to say like okay I'm gonna step away now because this is the situation is becoming too frustrating and I know I don't have to stay in it and I can tag out and switch with my partner for example I don't have to be the martyr here or this is something I really enjoy doing, or this is some way that I know I can calm myself. Feels often like a more accessible entry point for scale building and preparing. Mm -hmm. That is an interesting attitude. I would say my personality, like it's like it's a coping mechanism for me, is is to research. You know, of course, there's a point at which it becomes unhelpful. But being knowledgeable is different than being skillful. It's sort of the idea of like, you know, especially when you're a new parent and you're like, oh gosh, I don't know how to comfort this baby. It's, you can feel bad that you don't know, but you know, of course you're new at this. That's, that's a sort of different feeling. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I haven't learned. <laughs> I haven't learned how to do this versus I don't know. And I should know taking that like research capacity and turning it inwards where it's like, Oh, what do I need to learn and pay attention to about myself in this moment? It's like, you can have the, like the three S's or the four C's or whatever the things are about soothing a baby. <laughs> but it's also like, what about this can like, what does this bring up for me? Like what maybe feelings of inadequacy or doubt or fear, you know, when it's 2am and they won't stop crying. Like, what is that and how can you offer yourself compassion in those moments is really a, the basis for a lot of how I think about the work that I do. It's like recognizing and then offering care and compassion because I think so often that gets left out of the parenting narrative or gets left out of the manual. Yeah, I think the self-compassion piece is, is really interesting. And challenging. Mm -hmm. Why is that so hard? One of my like things I love exploring, I think both because it's something I recognize in myself and for so many folks, I think that like when that idea of self-compassion 
comes up. And then if there is this piece of resistance where it's like, oh no, like that is not for me. Like it might be for other people, but not for me. And I think so often it's like we cope by thinking, okay, if I grip tightly to this and if I'm hard on myself and Mm -hmm. I keep pushing, like that's how I've gotten to this place and that's how I've been successful. So if I Mm -hmm. get soft on myself or I start to be compassionate, like it's all going to go down the toilet. It's recognizing that like those, it's not a direct line. Like, yes, you might have been successful and hard on yourself throughout, but that doesn't mean it was because of the way that your internal voice has been so Mm -hmm. um, punitive in a lot of ways. And like, what would it mean to be curious and to say like, let's try a different way. Let's see what being gentle Mm-hmm. does and I think that there's so often with toddlers like that gets manifested in day-to-day interactions where it's like what works better like the the guiding and the being alongside or the like resisting and coming to a head and you know pushing back against each other mm-hmm. and on also creating space for like it's incredibly difficult oh yeah I mean I feel like there's an extent to which like gentle and mindful parenting is so buzzy that, you know, it's like once something becomes so buzzy, you're like, I don't know if this has meaning anymore or if everybody is, you know, talking about the same thing. But I think that what I notice is most people want to be gentle with their children. They can extend that care and compassion toward their children, but it's pretty hard to extend that care and compassion to themselves. Mm -hmm. But that if you want (laughs) your child to be compassionate toward themselves, you have to model that to yourself. Yeah, it totally does. I think you can read all these, these books on what it means to be like gentle or conscious or whatever the other buzzwords are, but it's like, are we allowing space for the parents' emotions in that, in the parents' experience and the parent self-compassion? And I think again, to the like structural piece, like do parent are parents resourced enough and supported enough to be able to like, show up for their kids in the way that like is quote unquote ideal, you know, when they are being asked to do move the whole world and work at the same time as trying to get someone's shoes on, et cetera, then like, of course that's not going to be possible. And I think that's what often gets left out of those conversations. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's a lot easier to be a relaxed parent if maybe you have ample paid leave and you're not worrying about expenses like mm-hmm. childcare, and you know people's worries are very real it's hard to balance those emotions and just have endless and ample patience yeah and you know Every parent knows that like that morning when you wake up and it's like, okay, we won't have childcare today or, you know, the ways in which we had set up the day are not going to go to plan. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the scramble and it's like, you are inevitably going to bring that into how you interact with the day. And I think so often then we all, it can be like, okay, now I will tighten up and I will lock up and I will just barrel my way through. It's an ongoing practice to say like, okay, is there another way I can gently guide myself through this instead. There's a practice by a a researcher called Kristen Neff, who's like been the person around self-compassion. And she has like a three-step kind of model and approach, which I feel like can be a, a valuable tool for parents. And the first one is bringing in awareness of what's happening and acknowledging it. So, you know, saying like, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling stressed, this is overwhelming. You know, that's the mindfulness piece of actually like dropping into the moment and saying like, where am I? Where's my body? And what's, you know, what's going on here? 
The next piece is connecting with common humanity. Other parents feel this way. Uh, I'm not the only one that is struggling. It's hard out there. The pandemic is affecting everybody, whatever it might be that helps you to recognize like it's not just you fighting this battle. The piece I think that often gets left out is offering yourself some kindness. So that can be in the form of like even physically like putting, I'm often like hand over heart, slowing down because that can be like a very tactile way to connect. But, you know, what's the thing that you need to hear? And it could be you're trying the best you can. You love your child and they love you and you're going to make it through the day getting ready for bed won't last forever. Like just, you know, whatever simple thing that like is the coach in your ear, the kind or gentle and gentle friend that can be a reminder. And that can be a really brief way to connect with slowing down a little bit more. I didn't have friends who were moms, you know, when I just had my baby or or not very many. And then, you know, now I have some folks that I know. And even if it's, you know, pandemic life schedules, you know, often we're texting, you know, and just to have somebody where it's like, you can say without judgment, wow, this was really hard. And for them to just reflect back, you know, wow, that's really hard, you know, without judging, advising, etc. I think, <laughs> I think sometimes our friends can model, you know, how to be good to ourselves. Maybe you could speak a little bit about how people can begin to, to draw support, other sources of support toward them, whether that's finding community, deciding they need to talk to a therapist, other stuff I haven't even thought about. I do think that there are those, those formal pieces can be a, a great entry point. I similarly didn't have a lot of friends with kids when I had my oldest. And so a lot of times I was like, is this normal? Like, am I normal? What is happening? One space actually that has been really kind of fun and interesting is an Instagram account called not safe for mom group that I really love because I think there's such a performative piece to going to something like a mom group or Mm -hmm. A parenting group where it's like, oh, like, is your, like, is my kid okay? Like, is my kid's doing a weird thing. Like, the other kids look okay. You know, there's an evaluative piece, and that, that is an example of a space where it's like very, like, people being really open and, you know, not passing judgment about the different ways that we're all getting through the day somehow and trying our best. But yeah, I think for me, it was like having, friends or a friend who even if they weren't in the same situation like were willing to be curious and to kind of even just say like I can't imagine or I imagine that's really hard you know some of them went on to have kids and then for them to say like wow now I'm really like picturing you in that situation like commuting to work getting off the bus to throw up getting on the next bus like you know wow that really gives me a picture you know, but it's having those people that you can text and say, like, this is what's happening and for them to to have a curiosity about it. And like you said, a, a lack of judgment. The other day I was using the bathroom and my one-year-old, almost one-year-old was in there and then she loves the tub. And so she was trying to, she's, you know, reaching over, looking in and then she flung herself into the tub. And so she's like head first, clonking herself. And, you know, so just like being able to like, have a space where I could text and, and laugh and say like, well, just picture me like jumping off of the toilet to rescue her out of the bathtub. And, you know, knowing that somebody was going to be there and not be like, Oh, you know, judging that experience, but being able to see what it was and how we're all trying our best in those moments. Oh yeah. <laughs> the unexpected is always going <laughs> to happen. And they make for good stories later. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you can have a good laugh and that really does help. <laughs> we need all the laughs we can get. And it's also being like, it is joyful. Like I think of, about a lot of what we, we've talked about is like acknowledging the ways in which it's hard. And it's also like 
goofy and fun, even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. Like it is. It, it's interesting because, like, I feel like so many people I've talked to have brought up like what it feels like late at night, you know, especially with an infant, especially with a newborn, especially at like two or three in the morning sort of that dark night of the soul experience is so interesting that 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 comes up for so many people what i don't know there's something universal in that and yet like so lonely at the same time mm-hmm. there are these sort of little joy moments <laughs> these little you know they're little clowns sometimes it's not that like, and it makes it all worthwhile, but it's, it's something that is also <laughs> in the same way, somewhat indescribable, somewhat difficult to communicate, like the depth of what that experience is. Is that connection to humanity in some ways, like in the mess, all the messiness of it, you know, a, a practice actually that I read about in a Pema Chodron book that stood out to me in those like dark night of the soul moments is the idea of like breathing in not just like your own emotion of like loneliness or will you ever sleep or exhaustion but like breathing that in for all the other people who might be in the same situation and so like that always that was really comforting for me to think like I'm breathing in for all the people that are also awake right now and wish their babies would sleep and breathing out, wishing all of them goodwill or comfort or solace and whatever they were going through. And that can be, you know, in any kind of practice, but, or situation, but those moments that can remind you that you're, it's not maybe as isolating or alone as it may feel can be really meaningful. Is there anything else that we really should cover? That we had meant to cover. <laughs> yeah, I just appreciate the space of bringing together some of my favorite things. Body awareness, baby life, mindfulness. Um, I'm always trying to create spaces for folks to connect with all of those things. So I have a couple of workshops coming up. I have a pre and postnatal mental health workshop June 2nd and a mindful parenting workshop May 25th that people can check out if they want to hang out with other folks in the same boat. You want to tell a little bit more about those classes? Cause they look pretty unique in terms of what they offer. Yeah. Uh, mindful parenting. This will be our second time. The first one we sold out, which so that was really exciting for me. It's a lot of bringing mindfulness as a practice into your parenting journey. So it's not, you know, you're not going to have the 20 minutes to sit in monk like silence. So how do you, <laughs> cultivate awareness and self-compassion when you're feeling frantic in the day-to-day of parenting. And then it's also recognizing and working on like why are certain moments so activating or difficult and exploring like kind of what the history is for that and how can you show up for yourself and your child in those moments. So we had some great discussions last time and I hope new folks will join end of May and then pre and postnatal mental health will be building some of those skills that I talked about and thinking about what are the range of experiences people might have in terms of mental health postpartum but also like how can you just show up for yourself even if things seem great but it's still a shift and it's hard and that I think is part of a it's a component of a pregnancy related class so people get yoga and movement and birth knowledge and all kinds of other resources as well. But you're doing that sort of guest spot to talk about the mental health piece. I guess it's not really peace. It relates to everything. Yeah, but- focused time on. But yeah, that's one of the things I love about Room to Breathe is that, you know, we offer regular yoga classes that are accessible to anybody and any anybody, literally. But we do right now have an empower your pregnancy yoga series going on with a really amazing doula. So keeping an eye out for our different offerings, because there's always a lot 
on our calendar. Yeah. I have an upcoming class, which is, I think I've been calling stress less in pregnancy. So folks can check you for a, again, a mental health component because, you know, we spend the six weeks talking a lot about, you know, building our toolbox of skills to help ourselves. It's really important to know that there are things you can do to help yourself. But I think sometimes you also like don't want to trick yourself into believing that you can solve everything yourself. Sometimes you need to like actually take in the signal of, wow, this is especially challenging. And now what? Yeah. Well, I really love your approach of, you know, these are skills that are useful all the time. And this kind of body awareness is useful and necessary all the time. Recognizing Mm -hmm. your limits and reevaluating is good all the time. And so I think that that's where I do love pregnancy as a gateway because in some ways it it stops you, Mm -hmm. um, which can be incredibly frustrating, but it can also like create a new way of moving through the world because it's not like the fast paced productivity driven world is all that's out there, the the goal in and of Mm -hmm. itself. Well, the changeableness can feel really turbulent, but I think it's also a really beautiful thing that you are like, I I mean, and this is quite like down to the level in our class. Like, for example, we talk about, you know, that uh, down to the level of like the oxygen (laughs) molecules in your body to the hormones relaxing your ligaments. Like it's every part of you is being influenced by change to the brain we're learning more and more about how plastic people's brains are you know especially in that you know pregnancy to raising your young children their brain is so plastic and changeable and like isn't that beautiful and cool like we don't often i think think of ourselves uh uh as being capable of change. I think once we hit adulthood, we're, we kind of feel like, you know, this is what I got. (laughs) And we think we know maybe what we're capable of. And yet, yeah, we can surprise ourselves. We contain multitudes. Yeah, it does feel that way. And I, you know, I hope that, that, you know, it's two sides of a coin, (laughs) you know, it's scary. It's scary to change. I think sometimes we only talk about the good aspects or we talk about sort of the improvement aspects, um, but not, you know, how those, those are two, two sides of the same thing. I read a phrase recently that was like weaving pregnancy and parenting into the existing tapestry of your life. And I really liked that. Wow. I did like, I had to wrap my head around that. I think, you know, I, I, it is interesting. Like, yeah, that's different than sort of a, like a linear time graph or a like work-life balance is work and there's life, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It all being interwoven and warped and bringing in new threads, but a lot of the old threads being there. And I, you know, I even think of like, there's room for a little bit of messiness in that too. Like if you picture a tapestry of, you know, there are some hanging threads, there are some, you know, maybe incomplete pieces or one thing leads to another. It's, that's a really interesting way of, of thinking about it and thinking about what adds more colors mm-hmm. and textures to your tapestry see us building off of this analogy it's interesting because yeah you were talking about preparation and we think of preparation as research and I think I think we both agree that sort of well (laughs) whatever you're doing like we hope that it is going to serve you not just to preparing for a birth because birth is important but it's not the end of the road by any means the skills, the emotions that show up when you're pregnant, 
when you have a little baby, you know, some of these things you're going to keep exploring and wanting to gather in that support and build that toolbox of skills. So hopefully whatever you have will help you continue that journey through. I wish it was easier for folks. I wish we could make it easier. Any Anything else you want to leave people with? Just knowing they're in community, even if it's not in the same room, that there are folks out there thinking about it and thinking about how to get show up for others. So to know that they should reach out accordingly, reach out if they need that support. One resource I know we talked about during our class was Postpartum Support International. So I'll just lift that up again, especially if folks are feeling isolated or they don't even know where to begin. I think sometimes it's nice to have like at least one number written down. Mm-hmm. I think if you are pregnant, it might be nice to write down a number like Postpartum Support International or to a therapist. You know, I think sometimes it's nice to ask for those recommendations before you need them, quote, because sometimes it can be overwhelming to ask and to even feel like to know where to start. Postpartum Support International, they have uh, helplines. They can refer people to local support. They have online groups. They have um, all all kinds of things um, and, and specialty groups for like particular um, challenging situations that come up for folks. Uh, so I think that's that's really important. So it doesn't have to be just you, like, <laughs> I don't know, looking on for friends on Facebook or whatever. I enjoyed chatting with you. I feel like I already feel better and brighter for the experience. Thanks for sharing space. I always love to be able to connect. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Poised Powerful Parenting. I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend who you think would benefit from it. If you'd like to know more about movement and mindfulness for new and expecting parents, head over to poisedpowerfulparenthood.com for support. I hope you find the support you need because you are growing and changing too.